in uh, on one question, and it's just the question of why. How many times in your life have you asked the question, why? I think it's one of these things that it just first question we ask uh, from childhood. Uh, no one teaches us this necessarily, but the first questions we often ask from childhood is the question of why. Why do I have to do that? Why can't I do this? Why do I have to eat that? Gosh, I can't tell you how many food wars I had with my parents of why do I have to eat that? And I would sit at the table literally for hours and say, it's green, it's smushy, it smells funny, definitely not eating that. I think it scarred me for years. Why do I have to go to bed now? Why did he get in trouble? Uh, why did he not get in trouble, but I did? list of questions of why that we ask ourselves, even as little kids, certainly could be much longer than that. But what's interesting is, I'm not sure it's a question we ever stop asking, regardless of how old we might be. Why did that relationship blow up? Why did that relationship never happen? Why didn't I get the job that I really, really wanted? Why did I have to end up living here? Why do I struggle with, you can fill in the blank, stress, anxiety, fear, worry, depression. Why did I have to grow up in a home that was broken? Why did this marriage turn out to be the way that it did? Why can't I have the family that I actually long to have? Why did my kids actually turn out to be like this? Why did that situation, why did it never get better? Why did I or they get stuck with whatever that disease might be. Why did my life turn out like it did? Again, not the list of uh, exhaustive list of why questions that we can be asking, but my point is this. I'm just not sure, no matter what age you are, you ever grow out of asking the question of why. Now, I'm not suggesting that asking a why question is wrong. Far from it, because often when we ask the question of why, it has a way to help bring understanding to maybe a situation or a circumstance uh, or a relationship. But where the why questions do become difficult is when we either don't get an answer to the why question or we get the answer that we don't ultimately like. I mean, how many of us when you're growing up and we asked a why question of our parents and our parents just in frustration looked at us and just said, because I'm your parent, I told you so. Well, that was always a frustrating answer to the why question. Asking why questions of one another or our parents growing up is one thing, but what about when we start directing our questions of why towards God? Safe to say that no matter where you are on your spiritual journey of still trying to understand who God is, what God is like, and maybe for many you've begun that relationship years ago, it's safe to say that at some point, if not many times, you've asked God the question of why. Why didn't you do something? You could have. Why didn't you? Why did you allow that to happen? You didn't have to. Why did you? Or why aren't you allowing this to happen? Over the last few weeks, we've been walking through the plagues that ultimately destroyed and devastated the nation of Egypt. And as best as I've been able to, I'm trying to wrap my heart and my head around what it must have been like for the men and women living during uh, the times of the plagues in Egypt. Because I can only imagine the why questions that were being asked. 
Namely, why is this happening? Remember with plague one, the Nile River turns to blood. And then there's this infestation of frogs and gnats and flies, followed by a plague that just ultimately destroyed the animal population living in Egypt. And then there's the sixth plague, a plague of just festering boils that broke out over all the people. Now, with each of these plagues that came, things were getting progressively worse and worse for them. So I can only imagine the why questions were on the tip of everyone's tongue. I think we'd all agree that problems and pain often precipitate us asking the question of why. But sadly, problems and pain often not only cause us to ask why, but it can also have a different effect. Asking the questions of why can often cause us to either miss completely or just forget God's answer to the question of why that we have been asking. Well before any plague ever showed up in Egypt, God had made very clear why these plagues were going to come to Egypt and the people of Egypt and Pharaoh. If you go back to Exodus chapter 7, verse 5, this is God giving the answer to the question of why. When I raise my powerful hand and bring out the Israelites, the Egyptians, they will know that I am the Lord. So why of why the plagues? Well, number one, God cared deeply about rescuing and redeeming his people from brutal bondage that they had been in for nearly 400 years. Why the plagues? Well, number two, God wanted all of the people, namely Pharaoh and his people, the Egyptians, to know that God is God, that there is no God who is like God, Yahweh. Now, it would be easy just to read that one verse and just come to this conclusion that these plagues were ultimately about people, that these plagues were ultimately about people becoming free, and these plagues were ultimately about people knowing God. Now, I would say absolutely, yes, the plagues were about freeing people and people knowing God, but what I don't want any one of us to miss in these section of these 10 plagues is that with each and every plague, God was making a statement about who he is, not a statement about who we are. Every single plague is meant to make a statement about God. It's not a statement about us. It is a statement about who God is, what God is like, and what God can do. These plagues were intended to point people, namely Pharaoh, to the greatness and the grandeur of who God is and what God is like. And so when we arrive at the seventh plague, the plague of hail, we are confronted again. Six times this has already happened, but we're confronted once again with a Pharaoh who is refusing to listen to God, to do what God is actually calling him to do, telling him to do. Now, his heart remained hard towards God. Despite six plagues that have already come and ruined his country, Pharaoh has seen the power of God on full display, but yet his heart still remains hard towards doing what God wants him to do. And so when the seventh plague comes, Moses not only gives Pharaoh a crystal clear warning, if you don't do this, this is what's going to happen to you and to your people. If you read in verse uh, chapter 9, start verse 13, then the Lord said to Moses, get up early in the morning and stand before Pharaoh. Tell him this is what the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, says. Let my people go so that they can worship me. 
Let my people go so that they can worship me. Why does God want Pharaoh to let the people go? Well, what's God's purpose for his people being set free? Again, verse 13, let my people go so they can worship me. See, these plagues for the people of God were not just about securing their freedom. It was about securing their freedom so that they could worship God freely. God was not working towards securing their freedom so they could just be free and have a much better life than they had in Egypt. God wanted his people to be free so his people would worship him. Now, what was true of them is still very true for us today. God is always at work in our lives, especially in the most difficult of circumstances that we can go through so that we might be a people that worships God and God alone. One of the things that I've been thinking about and uh, learning afresh over these past few weeks uh, is this. The answer to our why will be discovered in our worship of God. All of the questions of why that we are asking of God will be discovered in worship of God. Meaning, why is God allowing this to happen? Or why is God not allowing this to happen? God's plan for his people then, God's plan for his people today is that we would worship God alone. The answers that were, the questions that we're asking of why this, why not that, will be discovered in our worship of God. God wants us to be men and women that would worship him and him alone. So I just want to make this personal for us. What or who is the center of your worship today? What or who is at the center of your worship today? Now, for me, the best way that I can answer that question is found in my thought life. What do I think about? Like, what do my thoughts naturally gravitate towards? What do I find myself daydreaming about? What do I find myself just thinking about consistently on repeat in my brain? Now, certainly looking at things like where you spend your time, where you spend your money, those are certainly helpful indicators of what you worship. But for me, what has been most helpful in answering the question, what or who is at the center of my worship, is just what do I think about? What do I dwell on throughout the day, any given day? And for me, if, what I'm, if I'm going to be honest with you, what often occupies my thoughts is myself, thinking about me, thinking about what others think about me, trying to craft an image and uh, ideas and opinions, wanting people to have a certain view of me. If I'm being honest, how much of my mind just comes back to thinking about myself? So what does that reveal to me? about who's at the center of my worship, it would be me, because I think about myself a lot. Now, I'm not going around singing songs about me, and I'm not necessarily telling other people to worship me, but if I'm the center of much of my thoughts, I've become the center of my worship. What was the center of the people of God's worship? Meaning, what were they consistently thinking about? Well, they wanted to be free. So what they were worshiping was this idea, we just want to be free from this. What or who is at the center of your worship today? Again, just what do you think about? What occupies the thoughts in any given moment of any given day? As we're looking at the seventh plague, uh, one of the things that's really encouraging as we look at this plague is that God 
is committed to actually helping us worship Him. He wants us to worship Him, but He's committed to actually helping us worship Him. See, the why of the plagues are intended to lead all people in all places at all times around the world actually worship God. And for the very first time, we get an understanding of the why of Pharaoh. Why was Pharaoh put in this position of power? Why was Pharaoh's heart so hard towards God? Why was Pharaoh's heart filled with hatred towards the people of God? Well, as we look at the seventh plague, we, for the first time, get an answer to the question of why Pharaoh? Why was he put in the position that he was put? Pick up the story again in verse, uh, chapter 9, verse 14. Uh, after Pharaoh has just been told, let the people go so that they can worship me. If you don't, I will send more plagues on you, your officials, your people. Then you will know there is no one like me in all the earth. By now, I could have lifted my hand and struck you and your people with a plague to wipe you off the face of the earth. But I have spared you. Here's the why. I have spared you for a purpose to show you my power and to spread my fame throughout the earth. God clearly, clearly warns Pharaoh once again, if you continue to defy me, more plagues are going to come to you and to your people. God makes known once again that each and every plague is serving as a reminder to Pharaoh that God and God alone is God. And to help Pharaoh know this, God reminds Pharaoh, Pharaoh, I could have up until this point just lifted my arm and you and your people uh, would be off the face of the earth in judgment for his disobedience. Now, if you and I had the opportunity just to interview Pharaoh and to just ask him the question, hey, why do you exist? Why are you here? Why are you the appointed ruler of all of these people? His answer would have been as simple as people's worship of me. Meaning why he existed is so that people would worship him. Pharaoh thought of himself as a deity, a God-man who was worthy to be the center of his people's worship, adoration, affection. This, to me, is the irony of Pharaoh's life. The very thing Pharaoh was trying to prevent from happening, meaning worship of God, God was using Pharaoh's life to ensure that worship of God would happen. And not just for the Hebrews, but for the entire world. Again, read verse 16. I have spared you for this purpose. Here's the why of your existence. To show you my power and to spread my fame throughout the earth. See, what this one verse is saying is that these plagues are serving a missional purpose. And Pharaoh is the tool in God's hand in which the message of God's power and fame will spread throughout the whole earth. God was using Pharaoh's hardened heart so that people in all places at all times would know and worship God alone. Here's the thing that we just need to know and realize. God is going to be worshipped. It's just a question of whether we will choose to bend the knee in worship of God or will our knees be bent for us. Pharaoh was refusing to bend his knee and worship to God. And with every single plague, his knees were being bent. Either way, God is going to be glorified, whether we choose to be humble before God and worship him, or whether we choose to harden our hearts. Either way, God is going to be worshiped. 
So the question that's a big question is, if the plagues were, and Pharaoh's life was about people worshiping God and knowing who God is and thus worshiping God, did it actually work? If that was the intent of all of these plagues, one through 10, did it work? Well, 40 years removed from the plagues. So fast forward in time, 40 years. Joshua, Moses is gone. Uh, He's died. Joshua is now leading the people into the promised land that God said, from Egypt, I'll take you into the promised land. Joshua is now doing that. And the people that Joshua is coming into contact in the promised land are fearful of Joshua and the people of God. And there is a people group called the Gibeonites, and they are terrified of the nation of Israel. And so they come to Joshua and his people, and they try to make this treaty with them. And the reason that they didn't want to go to war is because they had heard stories of what happened in Egypt. So when you read Joshua chapter 9, it says this, they answered, your servants have come from a very distant country. We have heard of the might of the Lord, your God, and all he did in Egypt. Why don't you want to go to war and why do you try to build a treaty? Because we've heard stories. We heard stories about what God did for your people in Egypt 40 years ago, and we don't want to mess with that. Fast forward roughly 400 years later, when the Philistines are trying or about to go to battle and wage war against the nation of Israel, this is what the Philistines say in 1 Samuel 4. This is a disaster. We have never had to face anything like this before. Help. Who can save us from these mighty gods of Israel? They are the same gods who destroyed the Egyptians with the plagues when Israel was in the wilderness. 400 years later, people had heard stories of what God had done about his power and his fame had spread throughout the earth so that men and women, no matter all times, all places, would worship him. So did it work? Absolutely. The power of God on full display in Egypt made God famous. The purpose of God through Pharaoh made God famous. What happened with each and every plague made God famous. That is to say, it helped people through all time to see that there is no other God like the God of the Bible, that there is no other God that is worthy of your worship, that's worthy of my worship. I want to finish uh, this morning by just asking uh, a really important, crucial question. And it's this, why is God so bent on us worshiping him? Like, why is it such a big deal? Like, if every single plague, the purpose of Pharaoh's life, and command after command in Scripture is that we are to worship God, why is God so bent on us worshiping him? Like, is God a megalomaniac? He's just really into himself, and if we don't worship him, he's going to be sad, and he's going to pout. And he's going to somehow be incomplete if people don't worship him. Is God some type of an egotist that he's always demanding, calling you and I to worship him? This is a really important question. How would you answer that? For me, the first question that I have to ask in answering this is, well, does God know he's God? Is God fully aware of actually who he is? One would think, if you're going to be God, you know all things, including knowing who you are. If God didn't know he was God, well, then that would disqualify him from being God. So if God knows that he's God, 
And when I say he knows he's God, he knows that he is supreme in all of the universe, that there is no one who is more beautiful or powerful or majestic or perfect than God. If he knows that to be true of himself and who he is, it would be unloving, even cruel of God if he did not call us to worship him. And here's why. If God did not call, demand us to worship him, then we would be tempted to give ourselves, to give our lives, to give our affection, our adoration, our time, our thoughts, all of who we are. We'd be tempted to give that to something less than what is actually best. So when God calls us to worship him, this is actually a demonstration of just how much God loves you because he doesn't want you to give yourself to something less than actually who he is. John Piper uh, was a pastor in Minneapolis and uh, wrote many helpful books through the years. And in one of them, he said this, here is the end of the matter. God is the one being in the universe of whom self-exaltation is not the act of a needy ego, but an act of, an, uh, but an act of infinite giving. The reason God seeks our praise is not because he won't be fully God until he gets it, but that we won't be happy until we give it. This is not arrogance. This is grace. This is not egomania. This is love. See, what John Piper is saying is until we give God our worship, we will be miserable because we'd be giving ourselves to something or someone less that will just leave us empty. So the answer to the question is absolutely not. God is not an egotist. God is not some megalomaniac. He is a loving God who calls us to worship him because he alone is worthy of that because that's what's best for us. This to me is just the beauty of the gospel message, the good news that Jesus, he came to make the invisible God made visible. This to me is the, the beauty of the gospel is that God is not to be worshiped in some random religious way, but he is to be worshiped in a relational way through the one who came to bring us to God, which is Jesus. See, our worship of God is not just fueled alone by remembering who God is. It's fueled by what God has done for us in his son, Jesus, and making him known uh, that we can have a relationship with God. So our worship, we remember who God is, but we also worship for what God has done to make knowing him even possible. So the why of all of these plagues, one through 10, the why of Pharaoh's life was in order to help all people then and to help all people now and everyone in between and everyone after us come to a place to say that God alone is worthy of all of our worship. So like Pharaoh, we have a choice. Will we choose to worship God as God? Will you and I choose to worship God as God or will we choose to give ourselves to someone or something less. Pharaoh chose to continue ultimately to worship himself. After the, hail, the plague of hail devastated the entire nation of Egypt, this was Pharaoh's response once the hail, the thunder stopped. In Exodus 9, when Pharaoh saw that the rain and hail and thunder had stopped, he sinned again. He and his officials hardened their hearts. So Pharaoh's heart was hard and he would not let the Israelites go, just as the Lord had said through Moses. Pharaoh, he refused to bow. Pharaoh refused to worship. So what will you do? 
Will you choose to worship God as God? Will you choose to worship God alone? That's the choice before each of us today. All of these plagues, one through 10, are to get you and I to a point to say, he is God, I am not. Will in humility we bend our knee or will our knees be bent for us? Pharaoh, his knees were getting bent. But for you and I, will you and I choose to worship God and God alone?